Well, today we're going to be starting our Christmas series. Um, we're going to be doing something a little bit different this year than we have in the past. In the past, typically when we've done our Christmas series, um, we've really kind of focused in on maybe a, a portion of Scripture or a section of Scripture or a, a central theme. Um, today we're going to do something a little bit different over the Christmas season. Um, and so in, in really the series, the title of the series is really Christmas Time at Broomfield Assembly. It, it really is going to kind of be a little bit more broad than we typically do. The, the, over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at some Christmas messages, but not necessarily from a, a certain portion of Scripture or, or a, a certain theme. There's going to be several different themes, but they're all going to be kind of around, the, obviously, the Christmas season and the Christmas time. And so we're going to be doing things a little bit different this year, And uh, but each week we'll have a, a different title and a different kind of theme, but again, all of them will be kind of about Christmas. I wanted to let you all know that because, again, we're doing things a little bit different than we have in the past. So this Sunday, the title of the message is The Other Names of Christmas. The Other Names of Christmas. And so before we kind of jump in here, I'd like to, to pray over the message. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. God, we thank you for what this season is and what it represents. And Father, we ask that right now you would just open our hearts to what you want to communicate to us. God, so many times, for so many people, it's, it's Christmas time again, and, and maybe it's the same story, but you know what, Father? I pray that you would open our hearts to something new this morning. Father, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would enlighten us with something maybe we hadn't seen before, because your word is alive, it is powerful, and it can change the hearts and the lives of people. And so, Father, that's what we're asking. And that's what we need. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for most of you, you know that when we talk about the Christmas story, we really see that story laid out for us in, in a couple of books, basically Matthew and Luke. And both individuals kind of cover different things, and they talk about some different things. There's some similarities, but they do talk about some things that are a little bit different. When we look at Luke, we tend to see the uh, wise men, and we see the story of Mary a little bit more. When we see the book of Matthew, we see a little bit more of Joseph. When we see uh, the wise men or the, the magi, that come from the east and so both of them kind of come together and that's how we kind of get together our Christmas story that we see and and that we celebrate every year but Matthew starts his a little bit differently than Luke does and a lot of times when we talk about the story of Christmas in Matthew we tend to start a little bit later in Matthew 1 than I'm going to start this morning because Matthew doesn't just start his story with Jesus he actually goes back to a beginning point that is very important to us and for most of us as we open up our Bibles and as we look into Matthew we tend to skip over this section but I believe this section has just as much to do with Christmas as the shepherds and the wise men and just as much to teach us about Jesus and about the Father and about this season than any other part of Scripture so even though for most of us, we tend to skip over this, and trust me, we're going to skip over a good portion of it this morning. It's still an important part of understanding not just the small understanding of Christmas, but a huge understanding of Christmas. We're going to look in Matthew 1. We're going to start with Matthew 1, 1, and we're not going to read all of these things, but they're going to be up on the screen. They'll be at your screen at home, and we're going to kind of look at these things together. So let's go ahead and throw it up there. Matthew 1, starting with verse number 1, and this is what it says. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now let's stop there for just a second. 
And let's think about, you know, when you think about Christmas, you usually think about uh, lots of different things, but I doubt many of you have thought Christmas is the time to think about genealogy. In fact, if you do believe those things or think those things, you and I probably need to talk about what Christmas, you know, can really be, because you're not having as much fun with Christmas as possibly you could have. But Matthew here starts with genealogy. He starts with the bloodline of Jesus, and he's doing that for several reasons, but he wants us to start understanding that Christmas begins way earlier than we understand it to start. God's plan and God's opportunity to come and bring us home and to save us didn't start with Jesus in a manger. It started many, many, many hundreds of years before. And so Matthew takes us to this place and says, we're going to look at this together. Okay, Monica, go and throw up verse number two. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zahar by Tamar, and Perez the father of... Now listen, we're not going to go through all these for a couple of reasons. One, we don't have time, and two, I am not interested in butchering all of these names this morning. But we are going to look at them together. Okay, go ahead and throw the next up there, Monica. We're going to go through these together. And so now we have some other ones. There are going to be a couple names we're going to look at here for a second. But the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. Okay, in these portions of Scripture, we're seeing some people that many of you know. Obviously, this is Ruth from the book of Ruth, King David, and so on and so forth. Okay, go ahead and put seven up there. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of... Uh, we're just going to go through these. Father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat. Go ahead and go on to verse number 9. And Uriah, the father of Jatham, Jatham, the father of Ahaz. And we're going to go, and we're going to go, and we're going to go, and we're going to go to 11. And now we're going to see something interesting. Now we see the Babylonian exile. So Matthew has taken us all the way back to Abraham... He's taken us through the early part of the Israel nation and basically King David and Solomon. And now he's taken us basically to a very dark place in Israel's history, their exile in Babylon. Okay, let's go on with verse number 12. And so we depart to Babylon. We see some more names, Rubabel and, and Azar and all these things. Let's go ahead with verse number 15. We're almost there. And basically we get Eleazar and now we get to... Mathon, and Mathon is the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. Now, doesn't that just fill your heart with Christmas cheer? Doesn't that just make you want to go out and sing jingle bells and drink hot cocoa? Probably not most of you. I know for me, not. But there is some things here that is very important if we understand, to early understand all that I believe God wants us to see and understand about the Christmas season. And there's a reason why God put this here. There's a reason why the Holy Spirit spoke to Matthew and he wrote these things. But we're going to look at these things together. We're going to kind of look at some of these things more in detail this morning to kind of see what God wants us to see, not only about Christmas, but also about him. But first we want to look at this. I want to look at some surprising names. You see, there's some surprising names in this genealogy because here's the deal. They're surprising names because there are actually four women mentioned in these genealogies. Now, why is that surprising? Quite simply this. Most genealogies at this time did not include women. But Matthew does. Matthew doesn't have to. 
But Matthew chooses four women to include in this genealogy. That means something. There's something here that God wanted us to see that Matthew was quickened by the Holy Spirit to write these women out. So we're going to focus on each of them. And here's the deal. Some of these women have a pretty dark past. Some of these things that we're going to look at together are going to be things that you're going to kind of be like, wait a minute, are you sure that's in Scripture? Look, I'm sure it's in Scripture. But there's some things here that are a little dark. There's some things here that are interesting that we see. Because the first person that we're going to look at is Tamar. Tamar is talked about in Matthew 1, 3. Basically, we see Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Tamar was not Jewish. Tamar was actually a Canaanite. And she had a situation where she had married the, the son of Judah. And her husband dies. All this story is actually found in Genesis 38. We're going to paraphrase this this morning. But if you want to look and study a little bit more, that's where this story is found. So her husband dies. And then as it was custom, basically after that would happen, basically Judah was to, as the father-in-law, he was to give another one of his sons to Tamar so that she could basically have a child, have a son to take care of her as she got older, because she was a widow at this point. Well, according to the scripture, what happens is that basically one of Judah's sons comes, and instead of doing his duty and basically helping her to produce a child, he basically takes advantage of her sexually, but does not consummate the marriage the way that a child would then come. Okay, I don't want to spell it out, but I think we can all understand what's going on here. And so this doesn't take place. So there's a problem here. We still haven't seen something take place that needed to take place to help Tamar and obviously here to get us to Jesus. So after that takes place, Judah goes to her and says, listen, I have another son. Well, actually, before that happens, not only does the son that the, her first husband die, but because of the sin and the, 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 the second son, God takes him out too. So now she's had basically two husbands of Judah's sons and both have died. And so Judah's a little like, I don't know if I want to uh, give another son to this girl, you know. But it's his responsibility. So he goes and he says, listen, here's the deal. Um, my other son isn't old enough. You go back and live with your family. Because remember, she isn't Jewish. She isn't from Israel. And, and you go back and live with your family. When that son is old enough, then I will bring you back and you can marry him. Well, the story goes on, some years pass, and basically Tamar finds out that basically now his son is old enough to do this, and Judah is not fulfilling his responsibility to have this happen. Maybe he's afraid of, of what's happened to his other two sons, we don't know, but re regardless, he doesn't do that. So Tamar kind of takes things into her own, uh, her own plan, and the Bible says that literally she goes out and dresses as a prostitute. Judah is coming by and he sees her and basically says, so um, uh, how, how much would it cost for you and I to get together? And she says, oh, well, um, you know, they kind of talk about these sort of things. And, and he, she said, well, a young goat. He said, well, I don't have a young goat, but I'll give one. She goes, well, what are you going to give me in, 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 in the interim, basically? And he gives her a ring and a staff. And so they go ahead and take care of things and, and Judah goes and they can't find her. So a couple months pass. Well, guess what? Tamar gets pregnant by her father-in-law. Told you, it's, it's not really one of those like, woo, 
good, good stories. It's kind of a dark story. And so they find out that she has be, she's pregnant. And so Judah, in his righteous, judgmental anger, brings her forward. Says, man, she's pregnant. She's obviously not been doing the things that she should be doing. She said, we need to stone her. We need to, I think actually the scripture says, burn her. It's very serious. I mean, yeah, Merry Christmas to all of you. Okay? Good job, Matthew. Way to go. He brings her forward and she says, you know, what do you have to say for yourself? And she says, listen, the father of my child is the person who owns this ring and this staff. This, I literally believe, this was the first mic drop moment in history. Because I, can you imagine Judah? I mean, because that's his. And they realize what has happened. And Judah makes a statement. He literally says, she is more righteous than I am. At the end of verse 30, or the end of chapter 38, she does have birth. She does give birth to twins. And that's who these individuals are. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. This woman and her story is in the lineage of Jesus. This is Jesus' great, 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 go on back, grandmother. What do we learn about this? How do we see? It's easier. Tamar teaches us that Christmas is about God's grace. Even with all the mistakes, even with the things that Judah did wrong, and even with the things that Tamar did wrong, how they took things into their own hands, and I'm going to do this, and, and, and didn't do the things they should have done, God still gives grace. Listen, there is nothing that you have done, there is nothing that you will do that will ever, God will ever look at you and say, you know what, you were in my plans, but now you're not. There is no time that God will look at you and say, you know what, I had great things in store for you, but you screwed up, you messed up, and so now you'll never have a chance to operate in those giftings. You'll never have an opportunity to do those things. God will take the imperfect and still use them. God will take those that need grace and offer it to them graciously. So many of us feel like, you know what, I've messed up too much. Tamar teaches us that no matter how much we mess up, and here's this, this part too, not only how much we mess up, but how others' actions can affect us in negative ways. Some of us, we deal with this guilt and this shame, not because of what we have done, but because what others have done to us. If Judah had fulfilled his responsibility, none of these things could have happened. Sometimes it's not just about what we do. It's about what others have done. But God still gives grace. There is grace for us this morning, no matter what we've done. And Tamar teaches us about that. The second woman we see is a woman that most of us know more about, and that's Rahab. We see Rahab mentioned in Matthew 1, 5a. Basically, her story is in Joshua 2. Israel's getting ready to go into Jericho. Joshua sends a couple of spies. Rahab hides the spies. Rahab, listen, here's the thing about Rahab. Rahab really is a prostitute. Tamar was kind of dressing up as one, and, and you get what I mean by that. But Ta we know that, that, that Rahab really was. And so these spies come into her home. These men come and they say, basically, where are these men that have come out to spy the land? Basically, Rahab sends them on a wild goose chase. And she hides them. So not only is she a prostitute, she's a traitor. She's, she's, traded, she's, she's traded in her country and all her people. Listen, here's the thing to think about this. We know, most of us know the story that, that her and her family are saved. But you know what? Everybody else is wiped out. 
And Rahab basically says, listen, listen, I understand who you are, speaking to the spies, but she goes one step further. She basically says, I understand who your God is. And in that moment, basically, she hides them, sends them on their way, and we get this beautiful story of the red cord coming from the window. And her and her family are saved in that, that moment where the walls fall and Jericho is defeated. Rahab and her family survive. This prostitute, this foreigner, this traitor is listed in the genealogy of Jesus. Once again, this is Jesus' great, 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 whatever it is, grandmother. What does Rahab teach us? Rahab teaches us that Christmas is about faith and belief. Faith and belief. I, I, I love that we, we don't just see Rahab in, 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 in Matthew. We don't just see Rahab in Joshua. We see Rahab in James and in Hebrews. Let's look at Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, this is what it says. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. She believed Listen, we have to understand that Christmas is about faith. It's about believing. Sometimes it's hard to understand or remember knowing who we are as people and how flawed we are that Jesus would come and be born to die for us. It's a lot easier to have the faith that says, oh yeah, Jesus came and to see him in the manger. It's very easy to see him as the child. But Christmas is not just that day. It's looking forward to Easter. It's looking forward forward to a resurrection. It's looking forward to a man who is saying, I will put down my life for everyone else. That takes faith. It takes belief. And Rahab shows us that. Rahab shows us that she understood in a moment that, listen, God was more than just something. God was more than just a word or just more than a song or more than a baby. She said, there is a God out there who is powerful, who is strong. And if I can put my belief and my faith in him, I will be saved. Rahab understood that. Rahab teaches us that. And what's so amazing is that salvation is still available for every single one of us. The third woman, Ruth. Ruth. Now, obviously, we know a lot about Ruth. We see her story written in the book of Ruth, but sometimes we forget who Ruth was. She was a Moabite. Again, what we're seeing is constantly, over and over again, these people were not what you would consider to be. um, They they were Gentiles. They were, quote-unquote, the enemy. And so here's Ruth, and she is a Moabite, and her husband dies, and and, and basically so she has the opportunity to go back with her people, but her mother-in-law, Naomi, says, I'm going back to Israel, and what's Ruth say? She goes, listen, I'm going with you. And she goes, no, 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 go back with your family. She goes, listen, where where you go, I go. Your God is my God. And she goes, and we see this beautiful story. Listen, if you don't, if you haven't studied the book of Ruth, you need to. Ruth is an amazing book, not just because of the story, which is a really cool story, but because of the Jesus we see in Ruth. Did you know Jesus was in Ruth? 
Now, Jesus, as we see and as we know him, isn't recorded in youth, but Jesus is all over the book of Ruth. Jesus plays a part that we see in the man of Boaz. We saw his name listed in the genealogy. And basically, Boaz, and we don't have time to get into it this morning, but Boaz is Ruth, what they called kinsman redeemer. And he redeems her. He brings her home. And he takes Ruth as his wife. Remember we kind of talked about uh, Tamar and Judah and the thing he didn't do right? Boaz did it right. And Boaz accepts Ruth as his wife. And guess what? They have a child. And that child has another child. And that child has another child. And guess who that child is? It's King David. Ruth comes and she is mentioned. It's really an interesting thing because, you know, in the beginning of Matthew, we see this concept of Matthew and, and, and talking about Jesus, the son of David. Well, guess who David's great-grandmother or grandmother is? I can't remember off the top of my head. It's Ruth. Ruth teaches us that Christmas is all about hope. All about hope. You see, Ruth had nothing. Naomi had nothing. In the beginning of the story of Ruth, Ruth is literally going into the fields and picking up the grain and the stuff that basically the workers are leaving behind. She's hungry. She has nothing. They're both widows. But she had a hope that there was someone who could redeem her. She had a hope that there was somebody greater than she was that could come and take her to a new place and a new experience, that she could come home and experience the goodness of God. All about hope. The last woman mentioned, and depending on the translation, some don't even mention her name. They just simply say the wife of Uriah. But we know her to be Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Some of us know the story. It's a dark one again. King David, in the most, the biggest mistake of his life in a lot of ways, has an affair. And not only that, but she gets pregnant. And when she gets pregnant, David kind of freaks out and he goes, what am I going to do here? I don't know what I'm going to do. So basically he arranges for the murder of her husband. It's a dark story. Because of David's sin, that child dies. But David does take Bathsheba as his wife, and they have another child. It was mentioned in Matthew 1, Solomon. And here's the thing. When we talk about what Bathsheba teaches us, we're not going to talk about necessarily the story that I just mentioned. What we're going to do is her story that we're going to talk about is in 1 Kings 1. Because in 1 Kings 1, we see an interesting story. David is about ready to pass away. He's getting ready to die. And not to get into it, we don't have time, but one of his other sons is trying to make himself king. And Bathsheba goes to her husband, goes to David and sits down before him and says, you promised me that Solomon would be king. You promised me, you made a vow to me that Solomon would be king, but this other son of yours is trying to take over. He's trying to take over the throne, and David states, he says, no. He says, I am going to stand by my promise. Your son Solomon will be the next king. Bathsheba teaches us that Christmas is all about a promise. 
You know, God made a promise from the very beginning. All the way back in Genesis when there was the fall, God made a promise. He said, listen, there's going to come a seed of woman. It's going to crush the, he, uh, the head of the enemy and it's going to make a difference. That promise started all the way back in Genesis and we see it over and over and over again. Christmas is about a promise. The promise that God said, I will not leave you in your sin. I will make a way where there is no other way. Bathsheba teaches us to grab a hold of that promise, to hold it tight and to claim our promises and let God meet those needs and meet those promises. So not only do we see these four women, we see people that we know very, very well. This morning, we're not going to focus on them. We, we talk a lot about those people, and they're great, and they are an important part of the story. But this morning, I also want to talk about the forgotten names. The forgotten names. You see, a lot of us know the women. We've heard of them before. Maybe we didn't know quite their stories, but we knew them. But there's a lot of names that I would consider them being the forgotten names. Look at Matthew 1, 13b. This is what we see here. All these names, some of them hard to pronounce, some of them easy to pronounce. But basically, we see these names listed in 13b to 15. There's something interesting about these names. They appear nowhere else in Scripture. This is it. We see a lot of King David. We see a lot of Zerubbabel. We, he's in the line of Jesus, but we see him. These are individuals that we see mentioned nowhere else in Scripture. They're the forgotten names. But yet they're so important. Because without one of those names, where would we have Christmas? Would we have the same bloodline of Jesus? These people are important even though they're nameless. Even though we don't necessarily remember them. None of us can talk about Christmas and go, oh, you know, Eleazar. Boy, I'm sure I'm glad. I, when I celebrate Christmas, I celebrate Eleazar. We don't even know Eleazar. But yet he's mentioned as one of Jesus' great-great-grandfathers. I don't know about you, but I know there are people in my life. There are people that impacted me. In many, many ways, and I can even, maybe I can't even picture them in my eye, in my mind's eye, but I don't know their names. But they've had an incredible impact on me. I'm sure many of you, yes, we can name the parents, and that's awesome, and we should. Yes, we can name the grandparents, and we should. Maybe the teachers, but there are other people that have had an impact on our lives that we don't even remember their name. We don't even remember necessarily what they may have done. All we know is that we have been impacted by them in a powerful way. What do the forgotten names teach us? They teach us that Christmas is for everyone. Not for just the strong and the mighty, not just for the kings and the prophets, not just for the pastors, but for everybody. Even the people that are forgotten, even the people that are, that are, that are nameless, it's for everyone. I love this in Luke 2.10, and I use the New King James Version because I just love how this is portrayed to us. This is, then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. 
all people. Christmas is about all people. We tend to think that Christmas is only for a certain subset of people, or it's only for the the well-known people. It's only for these individuals. No, it's for everyone, for every individual. You need to understand that you're not forgotten. You need to understand that even though maybe your name isn't in light, it doesn't mean that God hasn't used you, that God isn't using you, and that God won't continue to use you. Man, I, I tell you what, listen, hear my heart on this. One day I am going to be in, I'm, I'm going to be so excited when I have my people, my friends, or, or people that I know have impacted my life, some that I can remember their names and some that I can't, that they're going to stand before God. We're all going to do that one day. And we're going to give an account for what we have done. And I'm going to tell you right now, the biggest cheerleader you are going to have will be me. Because I will sit there and I'm going to yell until I'm hoarse. I don't think we'll be able to get hoarse, thank goodness, at that time. But I'm going to be excited. Why? Because you're going to get everything that's coming to you. Everything you did in quiet and in silence that nobody else knew except God, you're going to get a reward on that day. You think, I'm not making a difference. Nobody knows. God knows. And not only does God know, but God will remember. You see, you need to understand, you may feel that you are a forgotten name in this world, but you are never a forgotten name to God. Never a forgotten name to him. And so even though in the genealogy we see people that we have forgotten, people that are only mentioned one time, which, which is still pretty amazing, by the way, but still one time, they bring forth the promise. They carry the promise. They are a part of what God brings. So what are these Surprising and forgotten names teach us not only about Christmas, but about God. I want to kind of bring us to a close with three things that I think we can take and apply and learn from from not only these surprising women that are mentioned, but also these forgotten names. Number one, God uses imperfect people to bring forth his perfect plan. God brings forth... He uses imperfect people for his perfect plan. Isn't it something? I mean, let's be honest. If some of these people were in your family tree, you probably wouldn't be so proud about it. You know, I've never had anybody walk up to me. I'm just going to be honest here. I've never had anybody say, you know, I'm so proud of great-great-grandma. Oh, yeah, why? What'd she do? She's a prostitute. Oh, she's so awesome. Never once. Now, but here's in Jesus' line. Here it is. Judah messes up. He's there. King David messes up. Listen, you study and look at the genealogy of Jesus. You have rebels. You have murderers. You have adulterers. You have prostitutes. You have sinner after sinner after sinner. And and some of these are not the little sin. I mean, some of these are some big-time stuff in our world, in our thought process. And yet here they are in Jesus' line. These are Jesus' great-great-grandfathers and grandmothers. I don't know how your family line is. Mine's mine's got some some black sheep in the family. I'm just going to be honest. But I don't think, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, you know. 
Jesus, this is something here. And yet God uses them. Listen, one of the biggest lies the enemy tells people is this. You're so imperfect, you can't be used in God's perfect plan. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Plain and simple. Are you imperfect? Yes. Am I imperfect? Yes. Is God bigger than our imperfection? Yes. And he uses us if we'll allow him to do so. So listen, I know you're imperfect. You know I'm imperfect. We all are imperfect. All have sinned and fallen short. But yet God still uses imperfect people to bring forth the perfect plan of the salvation of mankind. He can use you and will use you. Number two, number two, God uses the nobodies of this world to make an impact on everybody. God uses the nobodies to make an impact on everybody. Listen, I've said this before and I know it's kind of a weird way to put it. But I truly believe this. The pastors that you know about, okay, they're not going to get the biggest reward in heaven. And I'm not, trying to, I'm, not, I'm not saying that as like a knock. I'm not sitting there going, oh, well, they're horrible people. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I've read scripture, and I understand that as a pastor, sometimes you get some rewards here on earth. The people that I believe will get the biggest rewards in heaven are the people you don't even know their name. The nobodies. The grandma who week after week, month after month, year after year taught Sunday school in a little church in the middle of Ohio. One day we'll stand before God and she won't even know the impact that she made. But God loves that. Now, listen, does he use the somebodies? Absolutely he does. He uses everybody. But just because you feel like you're a nobody doesn't mean that you're disqualified. You say, well, Aaron, I, I, I've never been to Bible college, or I don't know how to speak, or I don't know how to sing, or I don't know how to... Listen, can you love on people? Can you share with them what God has done in you? And you can. But God loves to use everybody, even the nobodies. Even the people that we have never heard of maybe before this morning, God used to bring forth the promise of his son. The final one. God is full of love, grace, faithfulness, hope, and his promises are true for everyone. I try to kind of bring it all together. I mean, what, what is Christmas really all about? All that. All that. What's God really all about? And I know I'm simplifying it, but all that. You know, it's, it's not surprising that God's story that he brings forth is a reflection of God's character because that's who he is. He loves us. He is full of grace. He is faithful even when we're not. He is our hope. And his promises are yes and amen. And they're not just for a select few. Isn't it interesting that as we look at how people handled Gentiles later on, even in Jesus' life, they were kind of separated. They were kind of, oh, I don't like those people. Oh, we don't we stay away from those people. But yet in the genealogy of Jesus, we have people who were Gentiles. We have people who basically were the outsiders 
who Jesus and God welcomed in to not only God's family, but Jesus' family? How much can we learn from that? Well, we need to understand there isn't, there isn't, shouldn't be a difference. There shouldn't be a separation. God's grace and love is for everyone. And we need to understand that. The people that we look at as unlovable, God loves. The people that we look at as gone too far, God still offers grace and mercy. Those people that we look at that are so in our world, in our minds, faithless, God still reaches out and says, I will be faithful to you. It's for all of us. If the worship team wants to come on up, we're going to close. This morning we were really talking about names. I, I was trying to think about it this morning. I can't remember if it was last year or maybe the year before. We spent the whole Christmas season talking about the names of Jesus. Kind of interesting names seem to matter around this time. And we'd be remiss if we didn't take a moment before we move into a time of, of closing and worship and, and prayer without remembering the names that Jesus is given for this time of year. It's already been read as we had our Advent reading, but we're going to read it again from Isaiah 9-6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince. You know, a lot of us, as we celebrate Christmas, we, we kind of skip over, as I said, we skip over the names in Matthew 1. We get to the part where Mary and Joseph enter the scene. Nothing wrong with that. But we miss the names. In these names of people teach us something very, very important about this time and about our Father. And we talked about a lot of them, but one of them as well is that God knows your name. Scripture teaches us and tells us that every hair on our head is numbered. Is that, is that because God's bored or just because God's God, because he knows everything? No, that's, that's so we can understand that something is, is not important, is something that changes every day, is known by God. That if that is known, how much more is your name known? How much more? Does God love you? How much more does God want you? How much more does God open his heart and say, come home? You see, the Christmas season, again, isn't about a manger. It's about a cross. I know it's safer in a manger, but that's not where he stayed. He didn't come just to be born in a manger. He came to die on a hill on a cross. That's why he came.
And he came to do that because he knows your name. He knows your name. And here's the thing. Some of you are going by names that were not given to you by your father. Some of you look at yourself and you name yourself. And listen, I have a son and he doesn't get to name himself. Okay? That's my job. That's, that's my and Emily's job. That's his parents, as his father and mother. We got to name him. We got to tell him what his name is. And a lot of people, they walk around and they think that they get to name themselves. And they name themselves things like sinner. And they name themselves things like failure. And they name themselves things like unlovable. And I'm telling you right now, that is not the name your father has given you. I love in scripture where Jesus looks at people and he looks at, at Simon. And he says, oh, listen, man, I love you. But that's not your name, man. Your name's Peter. It means rock. You see, Jesus, when we come to him, doesn't just wipe it all clean, even though he does, and even though that's awesome. God wants to give you a new name. A name that he gives you, not one you give yourself. And trust me, the name that Jesus gives you the best name because God sees who you are and what you can become with his help where only you at times can see your failures and your mess ups and so as we enter in obviously we have but this time of year listen the best gift you could get this Christmas is a new name and there's only one person there's only one father who has the authority and the right to name you, and it's your heavenly Father. You say, well, Aaron, how do I get a new name? It's simple, you go to him. You say, you say God, I've, I've run away. I've tried to do it on my own. I've tried to name myself. And Jesus, I believe that you came and you died for me. I believe that, that I can have forgiveness of my sin because of what you have done. I believe that you are God's son and you were sit here not to just stay in a manger, but to die on a cross and raise again three days later. I believe that. My faith is like Rahab's in that way. And I believe that. And God, I want to become yours, and I want a new name. And I know, and I believe that God will give you a new name in that moment. The best thing you could get this Christmas is a new name. For some of you, listen, you, you got your name. Maybe it was a long time ago, maybe it was recently, but you've forgotten your name. You have an identity issue and an identity problem. And this Christmas, God wants to give you your name back because names matter. It's how we're identified to others and ourselves. And God wants to say, hey, listen, that's not your name. And you need to stop answering to it. He hasn't done it recently, but when Easton was younger, I would, I would do the little rhymes, you know? It's like, okay, you ready? Ready, Freddie? You know, things like that. Or, 
you know, you know what I mean with those little rhymes? And you know what my son would say to me? He'd say, Dad, that's not my name. That some of us need to stand up to the enemy and people that the enemy has sent into our lives and say, that is not my name. You can't name me. Only my father can name me. And I answer to his name for me. And that name sometimes is forgiven. That name is precious. That name is treasure. That name is son. That name is daughter. That name is my beloved. Those are your names. Stop answering to names that aren't yours because they don't have the right to name you, just like you don't have the right to name yourself. But listen, if you want that, you gotta have a name that God gives you. And when you get it, you gotta answer to that one only. So Father, we come to you right now. And Father, as a family, we come, and first and foremost, for those that are here and online, Father, I pray that there are those that right now are asking for a new name. They're saying, I, I don't want to be identified with my past. I don't want to be identified with, with the shame and the guilt. I want to be identified as son or daughter of God. And then, Father, right now, whether it's today or maybe it's a month from now or two years from now, as the Christmas season has come upon us again, that there will be people right now that are receiving a new name from you. And, Father, for those who have received a name, but they've forgotten it. They've let others name them and they've answered to that name. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that they would once again be reminded of who you have called them to be and who they are. And that they would never answer to the names of the enemy again. And they would answer to your name once more. And not just answer to it, but to live a life that shows their name. We need, all of us need help in these areas. Help us, God, in this time and this season to experience that amazing name that you have for us. And why? Why can we know that? Because we know your name. Because we know that you are all powerful. We know that you are strong. We know that you are mighty God. We know that you are the Prince of Peace. We know that you're the everlasting Father. We know that you will never leave us and never forsake us. That you are faithful and true and your promises are yes and amen. Because we know your name, we can know our name. So help us. We love you and we thank you. Let's all stand. John and the worship team are going to come lead us in a quick closing chorus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. So I'll stand Oh uh -huh.
thank you right now for those that are receiving their new names because I believe there are people whether again in this moment or later on they're going to get some new names and Father I thank you for those who have been reminded of what their true name is and Father whether it's for the first time or we've been reminded for the hundredth time let us help us to go by those names from now on because that's who we really are. That's who we really are. That's our identity in Christ. Knowing that the old is gone and behold, all things are new. That we were once headed for destruction, but now we're headed to life. That calls for a new name. That calls for something totally different. And God, that's what you bring inside of us and to us. You change us from the inside out. So we love you and we thank you. You're so good. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, again, thank you all for being here. For those that are online, man, we love you. We miss you. We hope you're doing well. After service, we're headed over to Jason's Deli for lunch. I really hope everybody can join us. But if you can't, we'll see you soon. For those that will be there, we'll see you there. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Merry Christmas.